And it's great. It's great to be together. Um, that's the cool thing. When you put your faith in Christ, you automatically become part of his family and uh, part of that family of God. And so, man, when, you're, uh, when we're not together, we miss each other. And uh, one day we'll be in heaven, our home eternally, and uh, we'll be able to hang out for a long time. So, yeah, that's cool. Great news. And um, being Father's Day, we just want to thank all the dads, all the men. You've got a big responsibility, and um, God has passed the baton on to you. In the Garden of Eden, God didn't go looking for Eve. He went looking for Adam. And um, not that Eve wasn't important, but uh, the point man was, was Adam, and he went AWOL. So uh, we need to remind ourselves that we carry that responsibility. Um, we're going to be jumping into God's Word in a moment. Um, I was thinking, man, I, I'm so grateful for the Bible. I'm so grateful that I have the privilege to read it. And um, we want to give you an opportunity to grab your Bibles. And if you're watching online, you can go to the church website. There's a video player. Click onto that for the notes. Or if you're on Facebook, the church Facebook, there's a uh, comments section that you can click on. And boom, there's the notes once again. I have mine. I have my notes. They're all filled in. And um, you will have the opportunity to fill those blanks out in just moments. This morning, I opened, uh, I opened up our windows uh, on the first floor, and uh, I could hear the birds singing, specifically the cardinals, man. And uh, boy, do they sing great. <laughs> uh, Anyway, Joshua Rogers, a uh, Christian author, uh, tells the story when he was eight years old, he was outside with his dad, and he heard a bird chirp a three-note melody. I'm not going to do that for you this morning. Uh, it might punish you, and I don't want to do that. But uh, just to keep it simple, tweet, tweet, tweet. And that third tweet went a little longer than the first two. So... Um, Joshua said, I, when I heard that bird singing, I looked over at my dad and said, that bird's singing a song. And then Joshua went on to initiate that same tune with a whistle that basically echoed the tweet, tweet, tweet. Well, Joshua said, man, my dad's face just warmed. He gave a kind, soft smile. His eyes were twinkling. And he said, that's right, Josh. That's exactly the song that bird was making. Man, Joshua said, man, as an eight-year-old, I felt so proud. I had imitated that bird so well. But he said, more, most importantly, more than what the bird did, it was that my dad noticed. He noticed me whistling. And he responded. He said, wherever, whatever I saw in his eyes that day, he said, I never forgot it. It just impacted me for life. Joshua said, recently, I was standing at the kitchen sink doing dishes. Windows were open, and once again I heard a similar springtime chirp, the tweet, tweet, tweet. In my mind's eye, I saw my late father's smile emerge from the past and gaze into mine. 
And then I looked over at my eight-year-old daughter across the room. She was reading a book. And he said, a surge of love rose up inside me. Not because she had done anything. Simply because she was my daughter. That's when I understood what was going on behind my dad's twinkling eyes so long ago. He was full of unconditional approval. And with his gaze, his eyes had whispered a secret to me. It was, there is a father who always sees you this way. It's your heavenly father. So he goes on to say, did your father ever look at you the way my father did when I whistled tweet, tweet, tweet? If not, it may be harder to imagine your heavenly father looking at you with those kind eyes of approval. Maybe you think you don't deserve God's approval. Here's the problem with that way of thinking. It assumes you can earn it. But in God's economy, no human effort will ever be enough to earn his unconditionally loving gaze. His son, Jesus, already did that. When? In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Don't miss that, he said. Jesus became our sin on the cross, and our sin died with him. It's gone. It's never coming back. And we also became the righteousness of God. His approval is certain because of it. Yes, we wrestle with sin on this side of heaven, of course, but that doesn't define us. The righteousness of Jesus defines now how it defines each one of us. It says you are his child. He is your father. His eyes look upon you, his perfect beloved one, when he sees you. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I have given you the righteousness of my son, and I will forever be well pleased with you. Hebrews 13, 5 and Matthew 3, 17. And so, Joshua Rogers was impacted long ago by his father's smile and a twinkle in his eye. We can relate that to our Heavenly Father today. And let's go to the, uh, the, the book of Luke, chapter 15. Jesus tells us a story, a parable. And even though he told it long ago, it's relevant for the year 2020. Luke 15, starting at verse 11, to illustrate the point further, Jesus had just got, he just finished telling a parable, now he's telling another one. Jesus told him this story. A man had two sons, the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. And so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About that time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. That's where we'll stop for the moment, we'll pick it up in just a moment, but let's, uh, let's talk to the Lord. Father, thank you for your word today. And we know, Lord, in this room, in this building, at home where people are watching, 
It's very possible that their biological father didn't model your character. There's a lot of pain, Lord, that people carry with them. But we're grateful today that we can read your word and see your great love for each one of us. And that's the cool thing, Lord. We can, we can take our biological family and transfer that over to our spiritual family where you are the head and you are that heavenly father that is always faithful and loving, who will never abandon us. And so as we walk through these verses, Lord, may our hearts be open, receptive to hear what you are saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, many, many people today in our culture, in America, around the world, don't have a, uh, a real understanding of what God looks like and, or what he's really like. Um, they may pick up uh, from the media, from their friends, from maybe the way they were raised, circumstances in life. They, they make these assumptions that God is this way. And that's where problems come in, because if we have a distortion um, if we have an inaccurate picture of who God is, man, that can impact us really in every relationship that we have. We read in um, verse 13a that this young man decided to go to a distant land. And I'm sure right here today, For some of you that are living in a distant land, you have, because of life, life has beat you up and you've become angry or bitter at God, you've questioned God, and so you've allowed yourself to drift into distant land. And and you can put your finger on it right now. You know exactly where you're living. You're in a distant land. You're You're not in a close relationship with God. Maybe it's possible you come up with the conclusion that God is an unreasonable father. Maybe he's an unpleasable father. Maybe an unmerciful father. Maybe even an uncaring father. In fact, maybe at some point in your life you felt like God wasn't there when you needed him the most. You felt abandoned by God. Not true. It may seem that way. I get it. We don't see God. God is omnipresent, which simply means he is everywhere all the time. He's everywhere all the time. And so people will make the conclusion, well, if God doesn't care about me, I don't care about him. And so they basically drift away in their relationship from him. And so this morning, we want to dig in because here's the cool thing. God sent his only son, Jesus, to come to planet Earth. Why? To show human beings what God is like. Jesus pointed people to the Father, and he modeled the Father's character so that you and I could get a real, true perspective of who God is. And so today, we're going to do that very thing. So number one in your notes... A father knows he's about to be abandoned. Verse 11 and 12, a father knows he's about to be abandoned. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. A younger son told his father, 
I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, in life, we kind of, kind of lean in that we hear stories where, a, where parents may abandon their children, child, children, whatever the case may be. But in this story, we see that it is the child that is abandoning his father. And friends, it's really a picture of, of relationships with, with human beings that have been created in the very image of God, where God uh, allowed Jesus to come to this earth and die on a cross for the sins of people, for all people. Why? Because he wanted to have a relationship with them. And when we see this son packing it up and leaving his father behind, that is a true picture of the freedom that God gives to you and me. We, we don't have a microchip implanted in our brain so God can hit a button from heaven to force us, to make us respond to him. The gift that he gave to human beings was the freedom to choose. And when you stop and think about it, that is a tremendous gift of freedom. Because you cannot have love where it's coerced or pressured. You, love is a choice that is made by your free will. And God wanted you to choose to love him after you experienced his great love for you. And so there we have it. Imagine a parent and you today, you have experienced, some have experienced that very thing where a son, a daughter have packed it up and abandoned you, man. They've walked out of your home. They want to live life on their own, man. They want to prove to you that they've got it together. And yes, as they leave, the pain fills your life. Man, it's painful. You grieve. So you can imagine this father... After his son approached him, and man alive, in this Jewish culture, that, that never was supposed to happen. In fact, Ken Bailey, he's a professor in the Near Eastern School of Theology in Beirut, put it this way. He said, for over 15 years, I have been asking people from all walks of life, from Morocco to India, from Turkey to the Sudan, about the implications of a son's request for his inheritance while his father was still living. And the answer has almost always been emphatically the same. The conversation runs like this. Has anyone ever made such a request in your village? Never was the response. Could anyone ever make such a request? Impossible was the response. If anyone ever did, what would happen? The response is why his father would beat him, of course. Why? Well, the answer was, the request means he wants his father to die. Dad, I want you to die. I want you to get on with it and die because I want my inheritance. It's a good attitude to have, isn't it? No, it's not. So looking at this young son, when he approached his father for his inheritance, he basically was saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you were out of the way 
so that I could go live the, my life the way I want to. Well, Ken Bailey concludes, he says, in all of Middle Eastern literature from ancient times to the present, there is no case of any son, older or younger, asking for his inheritance from a father who is still in good health, except in Luke 15. Why? Because Jesus is presenting to you and I a picture of what his father is like. His father grieves, man, when those he created walk away from him, abandon God. He feels the pain, man. He feels the void because of the love that he has for each one of us. He wants that relationship to be healthy. And not only that, when you look at this parable, what blows people away is the response of the father because in that culture, man, the father would be ticked off to the max. Uh, he would just blow up in front of his son and he'd say, are you kidding me, man? And when people hear, instead, Jesus tells how this father responds. <laughs> yeah. He loved his son so much that he granted him the freedom to leave his house. He, he granted his son the freedom to abandon his father. Think about that. that that's, what, that's what's amazing. In, in this text. Now in that culture, when a, when a young man would, do, would, re, would re request his inheritance before his father died, you know what happened? It wasn't just a family affair. Word got out on the street, and I'll tell you something. A neighbor told another neighbor. They put it on, on cable news. They sent out emails to everybody in the neighborhood and said, this young man has offended his father you are not to talk to him. You're, you're, to, you're to reject him. They put the young man's picture up in the local post office and said, you put a big X on that young man's life. Because in that culture, man, it was offensive big time to ever request your inheritance in this way. And so the son makes a request and the father grants it. Incredible. Some of you today have walked away from your heavenly father and you notice he allowed it, didn't it? He, he didn't slam the door. He didn't bolt the door closed. No, he gave you the freedom to make that choice. Number two, a father abandoned. Here it is. It's, it's come to fruition now, verse 13a. A few days later, his younger son got two men in a truck, packed it up, all his belongings, and moved to a distant land. The younger son pushes back on his father's authority and, you know, maybe, let, let's take it a little deeper here. Maybe, maybe the younger son just had enough with his older brother because when you read the entire parable, you see this older brother had an attitude problem and he was arrogant, he was proud, he thought he was, you know, the, the special son in the family and uh, because he always obeyed his dad. Why? Because... You, you kind of get the feeling like um, uh, the older brother was doing it just because he figured he could earn his father's affirmation that way. And so the younger son just had enough of his older brother just kind of picking on him, harassing him. You know, I'm getting out of here, man. 
I'm getting out of this house. I can't take it anymore. So, leaving, leaving this, um, this community with the inheritance, his father, it took, and you notice it said a few days later, the father had to get it together, get the finances together, go to the bank, sell some things to get a third of his inheritance so that he could give it to his son. It took some days. If this young man in his culture squandered his inheritance and then decided to come back home again, you know what the people would do in that community? When, they, when he came back, they would break a large pot and coming together as a community, they would start yelling and screaming at this young man that he was cut off from their community. He was not welcome there any longer. The young man would be an outcast. And so this young man was taking a risk. If he lost all his money, there were no second chances for him in that culture. So the father lets him go. There's no hint of, you catch this, there's no hint of pleading. Come on, please, please don't leave. You know, there's no, there's no begging. There's no angry shouting going on here. The father simply says, if that's what you want, my son, I'll grant that request. The father absorbs the pain of the son's rejection. I want you to think about that. The father absorbs the pain of his son's rejection. The son abandoning him. Oh, you can feel all oh, the weight of his son leaving. How will I go on? Hmm. The attitude of the father is, man, I love you, son, so much. <clears throat> You're free to go. You're free to go. My, hand, my hands are open. You're free to go. I had a conversation with a father. Doesn't attend here. Recently, where he said... Um, that he and his daughter have been estranged for several years now. He hasn't. He, he doesn't. He hasn't talked to her. She doesn't talk to him. There's been a severing. The daughter basically packed it up and abandoned her dad and her mom. Saying, "I'm going to live life my way, my way." You could see the pain on that father's face. Yeah. So the whole time the son packed it up and left, he was still his father's son. Keep that in mind. May have abandoned his father, but he was still his son. And that's how it is with God, man. God created you. God loves you. No matter what you do, no matter where you go, God will always welcome you home. Yes, he will. A distant land. A distant land. That's where he goes. And um, you kind of see that the son's heart had already packed it up earlier, you know. Uh, it, it reminded me of Jimmy Stewart in uh, It's a Wonderful Life. I'm sure some of you out there have seen that movie. 
And uh, George Bailey, that's who Jimmy Stewart is. You know, when he's growing up and as a young man, he's got all these travel brochures in hand, right? And he holds them up and he starts talking about all these different countries, man, that he's going to go visit. He's leaving Bedford Falls, man, because Bedford Falls, terrible place to live. You know, it's boring. Nothing to do here. Well, that same mindset with George Bailey was embedded in this young man all the way in Luke 15. Same way. I can't wait to get out of here. This is boring around here. My, my dad's an old fogey, and he doesn't, he doesn't care about me. And, um, and so when you look at that distant land, I, I, I would like to submit to you, are you living in a distant land today? Are you? Have you abandoned your heavenly father? You know, his his life hit you in the head so hard that you've packed it up and left him and you've wandered all the way into a distant land. Um, A few months ago, our life group did a study with uh, Tony Evans and... um, there was a chapter called Milk Carton Men. Milk Carton Men. And you can see, you remember those uh, missing faces on the milk cartons back in the day? You know, remember that? Missing? Well, well Tony kind of uses that imagery that unfortunately men in our country today have gone missing. He says, there are plenty of males in the world today who are content to slide through life, never making any waves in the world around them. Responsibility, leadership, and initiative are foreign concepts to them, and the world is suffering for it. Our world is falling apart, not from the lack of males, but for the lack of men. Real men. Kingdom men. Men who recognize that God has uniquely endowed them with the capacity and destiny for greatness. A kingdom man understands and loves this. He doesn't run from responsibility. He runs toward it. This is the kind of man the world needs. But the world isn't the only one crying out for kingdom men. God is too. He's looking for men who are willing to fully align themselves under his comprehensive rule. When they submit to his authority as their Lord, they are then willing to lead their families, businesses, and churches well. When a kingdom man shows up, everyone in his sphere of influence is affected for the better. The time for the return of kingdom men has never been more critical. Our families need them. Our neighborhoods need them. Our churches need them. Our world needs them. It's a good place to say yo. Right? You hear in our culture today from young women, where are all the good men? Where have they gone? I ask you, where have they gone? And so this young man decided not to be a man, you know? He, he just went out for his selfish amb- you know, ambition. It was all about him, me, myself, and I. Pat myself on the back. I'm a good dude, man. No, 
No, we need to we need to pause. It's not about you. It's about pointing people to the kingdom of God. And being a godly man. And it's tough. I get it, man. It's tough today. But there's a void in our culture today for men who love God with a passion. And they're willing to live by his attributes. Number three, an abandoned father grieving. Look at uh, verse 13b, and then he, there he wasted all his money in wild living, and about that time his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. You, you kind of get this for a man <laughs> when he's hungry. <laughs> his attention is fully aware. Oh, you know, something's going on here. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. That that might not seem fair, you know. Can I tell you a secret? Life is not fair, is it? No, it isn't. Life is not fair. And the sooner you realize that, the better off you'll be. We live in a broken world. Bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. Until we get to heaven, you know, that's the way it is on this planet. So <clears throat> this young prodigal is wasting his life. And you need to know this, that when he packed it up, he never intended to come back home again. You know why? Because he took all the inheritance with him. The text tells us this. He didn't, he didn't open up a bank account and leave it in the local bank so when he ran out of money, he could have come back home, you know, make another draw. No, he took it all with him. And his intent when he abandoned his father that he would never come back. He would never see his family again. That's where he was. We see that. There were a series of bad decisions with this young man, one after another. That's how sin is. It leads us to more sin, right? Yes, it does. This sin leads to this sin, and this sin leads to this sin. And pretty soon you're out in a distant land. Galatians 6, 8 says, Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. This father was fully aware that his son was far away in a distant land, that he was wasting his life on wild living. His father was fully aware of that. And so we see the money's gone, his friends are gone. Could it get any worse? Yes, indeed. A famine comes in. There's no food at the same time. So no money, no friends, now without food. Do you know what's up? Here, here it is. Here it is. Here's the grace of God. God is wanting to get this young man's attention. It's exactly what's going on here. Sometimes, sometimes, and even with this COVID-19 back in the early days, you know, when everything was shutting down, can I tell you something? God was speaking, saying, all this busyness, all the stuff you're running after, you realize it's not so important after all. You know, he was trying to get your attention. And now, this young man is living with the pigs. Anybody ever go to a pig farm? Yeah, man. All you have to do is drive into the driveway and you smell like pig. 
I mean, pig just jumps on you. Pig smell, man. Woo! Boom! And, and you don't have to get out of your car, man. It just finds you. And that's exactly what's going on here. This young man is living with the pigs. And he, verse 15, he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the field to feed the pigs. Great job. Great job. The young man became so hungry, even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. You look at this wealthy Jewish landowner, his father, and this young son of his is out in a field with the pigs, feeding them to survive. That's what sin will do, man. It will bring you to a dark, lonely place. Lee Steinberg, he's a famous sports agent. He, back in the day, he was the most successful and sought-after agent for professional football players. He represented almost every major quarterback in the NFL. And he says, man, I was so successful. My, my fame, the fame I had, man, it went to my head. It destroyed my family, and I started, he said, I became an alcoholic. It, I just tanked. He said, I lost everything. I had rehab opportunities, and I blew them away. And he said, at the end of the day, I ended up in a hospital in Newport Beach, California, not knowing where I was. That's how bad it was in my life. And it's not hard to see the sad parallels with Steinberg and the prodigal son here. Both were lost. Both were broken. In Ephesians 2.12, it says, you lived in this world without God and without hope. That's where we live when we don't put our faith in Jesus Christ. We live in this world without God and without hope in that distant land. God loved Steinberg just as the father loved this prodigal son. Number four, an abandoned father is patiently waiting. Verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. The father waits. The father waits. An abandoned father patiently waiting. What can you do if you're a father, if you're a mother, and your son or daughter abandon you? You take them and you present them to your heavenly father and you pray for them. That's what you do. Because wherever they are and whatever they're doing, you pray that God's spirit will just shadow them. That through circumstances, exactly what happened to this young man where his world fell apart. Where he had all these dreams, man. While living, he crashed and burned. And this father committed his son to the heavenly father, trusting that his son would awaken to his condition, needing his father once again. Jesus says that at that moment of his greatest misery, when he's broke, he's hungry, he's eating with the pigs, what, what happens? He finally came to his senses. And that's not it. 
it says, he said to himself. He said to himself. You see, self-talk is so important. It's so important. Because let me tell you something. I know, I know people who are followers of Jesus Christ. But they can't seem to get past, you know, where life can beat you up. And, 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 they, and their head is down. Instead of saying, this is what God's word says about me. This is how God sees me. This is how God sees this situation that I'm in right now, where it looks so hopeless, but I'm trusting God. See? What do you say to yourself? When you put your head on the pillow at night, what are you saying to yourself? It's important. I'll tell you this. I told a dude not long ago, you know, he's dealing with some life issues. I said, man, put on a worship song before you go to bed and even maybe read a psalm or a proverb before you go to bed. Put God's word in your head and let that put you to sleep. And you want to know something? You'll wake up with God's word or that song on your mind. You need to be intentional about it. Man, he came to his senses, and the flares of life, flares of life, man, they were flying. Woo! You know, like those nice little red light. I had a red light show up on my dashboard the other day, you know, the engine light. And the strange thing is, it never tells you what's wrong with the engine. There's, you know, there's something wrong with your engine, pretty general term, so you got to take it to somebody who knows what they're doing, Right? And they'll plug in this cord and they'll find out exactly what's wrong with your engine. Yeah. Well, in life, there are red lights on your dashboard where God is trying to get your attention, you know? And um, we see that we need to be watching just like and waiting, just like this father was for his son. Man, there's, there's... you know, two different responses in life that we can take. We can either cry out to God in desperation or we can distance ourselves from God. It's one of the two. Now, I'll tell you something. There's people today, unfortunately, they're putting distance between themselves and God. It's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to be. And this young man decides to go home and say, Hi. I'm I'm not worthy to be a son anymore. My father's going to sign off on me, but hopefully he'll hire me as a servant. That's what I'm hoping for. Number five, the abandoned father intently watching, verse 28. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. I love this, man. I love this. The abandoned father doesn't sit in his rocking chair, man, and, you know, Doesn't put a little house on the prairie on all day and all night, you know, to kind of fill that void and pain in his life. No, he doesn't do that. He's, he's intently watching. I love it. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. What does that mean? What does that show you? That shows you, man, that his father was proactive. He had his binoculars. He had drones up, rendezvousing the area, looking for movement for that son to come back home again. Putting this together this past week, man, this song came to me. It's a hymn, Softly and Tenderly, Jesus is Calling. And for all you hymn lovers out there, 
Listen to the lyrics. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. Patiently, Jesus is waiting, and here it is, and watching. Jesus is watching. Watching for you and for me. The chorus, come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O sinner, come home. I want to encourage you today, man, if you're in the distant land, it's time to come home. Jesus is watching. He's waiting. There's no place else to go. You know what I like about this young man? You, you, you may be ticked off at him. You know, he was so disrespectful, disrespectful for his, to his dad. True, true. But you know what, what you see here? When this young man made a decision to go home, he didn't, he didn't say, you know what, I'm going to put that in my day planner. I'm going to go tomorrow. I'm going to go a week from now. I'm going to go a year from now. I'm going to, I'm going to get my act together. I'm going to, I'm going to go into a, a hotel and take a shower in that room. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll cut the grass around that hotel to earn my keep. You know, I, I need to clean myself up before I go home. Whenever I get around to it, I'm going to go home. No, no, it doesn't say that. When he said, I'm going home, boom, he went home. Too many people are vacillating, procrastinating. I'll get my life together with God some day. And years roll by, decades roll by. It's a dangerous place to be. When this young man decided to go, he went. We need to went. Right? Let's get some went into us. I went instead of I will go someday. No, don't do that. Don't do that. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. The Greek puts emphasis on a long way off, indicating that, remember, this, this father was a landowner, and in those days they built towers, you know, for observation to keep uh, thieves away, you know. And so you, you get the imagery that this father would go up on the tower, man, with the binoculars. Whoa! <gasps> Looking for his son. Oh, and then he sees him a far way off. I see him. You can feel the blood pressure spike, man. Hit the danger zone in the father. He's okay. He's okay. Number six, the abandoned father is no longer abandoned. Aren't you glad for that? Verse 20. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. But his father said to the servants, Quick! Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf. Notice he's been fattening that calf. It wasn't a decision that day. He had been fattening the calf for this specific purpose. To celebrate his son coming home. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now is returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party, the party began. Remember, 
Where did the son work? Huh? He worked with the pigs, right? So he smells like, what? Pig! Yeah. Uh, he, he bought a Yankee candle that smells like pig just to help the, the situation, man. And the father doesn't say, son, you know, you really smell. You're really dirty. Would you mind just taking a quick shower before I hug you and kiss you? No, no, no. Friends, we come to Jesus as we are. Dirty. Sin. Stinky. We bring our past as we are. What, what's the father do? He runs. Breaks Jewish tradition. Runs. Lifts his robe and runs. And embraces his son. And when it says that he... He ran to him and kissed him. That means he, he kissed him a bunch. <laughs> In the Greek, he, it literally means it smothered him with kisses. He slobbered all over him. That's your heavenly father. You come as you are. And he'll smother you with kisses. Arms wide open. Arms wide open. And the father never entertained that his son would be a servant for him. His son is home. Luke 15, 7, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and heaven straight away. What would happen if today you ran, you came home to your heavenly father? How do you think he would respond? He would run to you with arms wide open. And he would embrace you. And he would kiss you. And he would say, welcome home. My son, my daughter. Are you willing to say like this young man did, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you today? Are you willing to say that? Are you willing to return to him from the distant land um, John 14, 18, no, I will not abandon you as orphans. Jesus says, I will come to you. Joshua 1, 5, for I will be with you. I will not fail you or abandon you. Hebrews 13, 5, God said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Maybe you feel that you've messed up and God has abandoned you. He promises never to do that. He is not a God who abandons. He is faithful. And today you say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Sin will separate me from a holy God. So therefore, Jesus, I believe you are who you said you are. You are the Savior of the world. You went to the cross. You paid for my sin debt in full. I believe that, Jesus. Forgive me. Forgive me. And I receive you into my life to be my spiritual leader. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you for forgiving me by your precious blood. And I'm trusting your spirit to help me live for you strong for the rest of my life. If you pray that today, go to lifechurchmh.com. We'd love to give you information on what it is to be a follower of Christ and how you can grow in your faith with him.